Okay, what's up everyone? Welcome to Let's Talk Harper Public School. Let's Talk Harper Public Schools is a talk show designed to highlight the schools in Harper, Connecticut. We discuss our beautiful and capable students as well as our staff, families, and partners. Each show we invite a guest on to talk about who they are, what their relationship is to our schools, and successes and challenges that they face. I am your host, Mr. Rich. I have been a resident, student, teacher, principal, and now executive director, and I will be your guide on this conversational journey. With that said, let's get to our guests. And our guest today is the Senior Director of Community Programs at the Village for Children and Families here in Hartford. Um, he is Mr. Aldwin Allen. What's up, man? Nothing much, sir. nothing much. How are you today? I'm all right. I got, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful day outside. We got, um, we got the holiday season coming up. What could be better? What could be better? So it's good to have you on. We've known each other for a long time, working in uh, various community schools throughout our district. Um, once the podcast came on, I said, I got to get some of our partners on here to talk about their work. And I'm proud to have you on as one of our most well-known partners um, for our school district to have a conversation. All right. And I'm happy to be here. Absolutely thrilled to be here. All right, so let's start out basically with who are you, man? Who are you? Um, where were you born? Uh, what schools did you go to? Where are you from? Talk to us. All right, all right. So where to start? So I was born, um, I'm from the Virgin Islands, St. Thomas Virgin Islands. And I came to Hartford probably about when I was you know, back, and I'm going to go all the way back, 1979. Yeah. And I've lived here ever since. When I came here, I lived on Western Street. Then I moved to the Upper Albany neighborhood where I've lived since then till now. Oh, so you still live in Harvard? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right off, right off Albany Avenue. Got you. So what schools did you go to in Harvard? Started out at Simpson Waverly, went to Martin Luther King after that, Fox Middle School, then Weaver High School. Simpson Waverly? Absolutely. Simpson Who was principal? Who was principal when you was at Waverly? I cannot remember who the principal was, but I had a um my that the Maya clusters when they yes, were still it was because I was there too, and I know we're around the same age, so I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> so my teacher was Miss Kirk. That was my teacher. I remember her the most. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't really name a lot of the other people because I was only at Simpson Waverly for one year. Gotcha. Then when I moved to the Upper Albany neighborhood, the next year I transferred to Martin Luther King, and I can name all those teachers. Okay. I went to King first and then to Waverly um, after that. So my King was Miss Matula. And then after that, that's, a, that's, where, that's the only one I remember over there. And then uh, Waverly, I had all my other years at. So Fox Middle and then Weaver? Yes, indeed. You graduated from Weaver? Graduated from Weaver. Okay. My last guest was from Weaver too. Shout out to the Weaver Beavers and everybody that graduated from there. So while in school, um, growing up in the North End, what was your, who was your favorite teacher? See, I tell you, it, 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 it ranges because again, as I started out, I just came to this country. So it was adjusting to the way things are. It's adjusting the accent, the flow, the pace of Hartford. And each year was something different, but I could say the one that I remember the most um, was a teacher named Mr. Lewis. He was my electronics teacher in Weaver. Okay. And um, he's my favorite teacher because one, I took his class for multiple years um, is an elective there. And he taught me a lot of hands-on skills. I really struggled a lot academically yeah. um, because of my learning style. 
I'm a kinesthetic learner and I needed to be able to do things with my hand. I've always excelled in wood shop. I've always done these pieces in Fox Middle when they had the industrial arts programs. Yes. And um, when I went to Weaver, I really just, it just sort of bogged down for me. It was a very different environment. You're talking about it was like 1400 children that was in Weaver, that were in Weaver at the time. And I kind of, it was a very interesting thing. And I got into a bad habit of putting attendance to school as a low priority. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Lewis, who would see me leaving the school at times, says, you know, he told me one day, he's like, you know, Alden, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going, Mr. Lewis. And he's like, he's like, no, 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 come here. And we had this conversation. He's like, listen, you're doing great in my class. Talk to me about the other classes. And we had these big conversations. And he said, listen, I'm not going to allow you to come to school, come to my class, if you're cutting these other classes. So right. I'm going to out and if I hear you're cutting class that day you're going to be sitting over in your room and you're going to be doing you know the paperwork right instead of you know doing these other pieces and we were doing house wiring he used to have us repairing the school monitors for the school he had us repairing keyboards computers when they first came out I was learning all these hands-on skills in his class and I enjoyed it so I was not going to put myself at risk and and not be able to do these things that I love because of these other courses that I wasn't in love with you know, that speaks a lot. First of all, I love the way how you um, how you uh, describe skipping school. <laughs> how you threw that out there. But um, when you talk about engagement, because that's one of the biggest pieces that we have right now in our school district or issues that we have with our students in our classrooms, it's good to hear that, you know, even back then as you were going through school, engagement was a key piece and wanting to be in class because you had an interesting class that, that you gravitated towards, and then that teacher was able to make a connection with you. What, um, I know you, you said you had them for multiple years. What was the title again of that course? So it was an electronics course, and it started mm-hmm. out as an intro to electronics, just basic where you learn to work with 12 volt switches and what have you. Then the second semester, um, um, we wound up doing some house wiring. He taught me how to, taught us, and I say me because it felt personal to me. Right. He wow. taught how um, to wire. He literally had a frame of a room built in and we learned to hardwire um, security systems, right? This was before they were wireless. Yep. And we learned to set up systems. We learned about um, amplifiers, how to sort of measure sine waves, how to sort of troubleshoot and fix um, different levels of appliances from basic toasters. And again, in his, as we move forward in his advanced class, they actually, the, the monitors for the school, when they needed repair, they would send them down to electronics class and we would go through them. We would discharge the cathode ray tube, we'd then go in, uh, attach our oscilloscope, we'd take measures, we replace resistors, transistors. It, it was quite a phenomenal um, experience. And this, again, over the course of my years at Weaver, I continued to sign back up for electronics. And, and it was even a partnership with Pratt & Whitney where they, I signed up for it and we went out to Pratt Whitney two times a week and we learned Fortran programming um, at that particular time, which was a, a, a great piece. And we also got to do some pieces with motors and learn how to use their equipment. So that was the thing that really locked me in and helped me complete my years at Weaver. How did you, with all that, and you said a lot of words and a lot of stuff that I'm very unfamiliar <laughs> with, but how did you end up working where you work now, I mean, did you ever take any of that information that you learned and you were so interested in into your adulthood after high school? Well, I I tell you, it's a very, it's interesting, right? Because in the midst of doing all of that, 
I still struggled with school. I still struggled. And I'll put it out there. I did five years at Weaver High School, right? I was on a five-year plan, right? Listen, hold up. Just to stop you real quick, brother, I don't know if you've ever met somebody else, but I'm glad I met you because Harvard High, I was on a five-year plan too. So I know. Keep going. I Trust me. I know. I laugh at what my transcript looks like because you use four <laughs> quadrants and then you have that one piece in the middle. That yeah, extra, you know, yeah. Hilarious. But um, but I, I still struggle with a variety of things. And, and the reason why, again, why he stuck out to me is because throughout it, even when I wasn't in his class, he'd still check. He'd still check and he'd encourage me and he'd give me little projects and I would bring my car there and he'd allow me to fix my car stereo. And I used to do a lot of stereo equipment. So the short answer to your question is, I loved electronics. It actually became something I did for a, a little while, just kind of on the side. Yeah. Um, oh, shout out to John Hollins. He runs Airtight, uh, Sign of Security. He was also in my class. He okay. took it and he's still in Hartford. He has a shop and um, he took it and he opened up a shop and he, could, he was working at Airtight actually when we were in high school and he continued to be there to the point where he bought that company and now he's a business owner. Wow. For multiple years but so I would dabble and actually that mean that that was a way that I maintained my income back then it was kind of really difficult to find jobs you know at, at different times and that sustained me as a side hustle um in between my um in between my jobs and I was trying to find my way because after that five-year run at Weaver I wasn't in love with education still right, right. But it took real life to anchor me, right? I had goals. And when I realized I couldn't meet those goals with the sort of um, strategy I was using at the time, I needed to go back to school. And um, during that time, like I said, electronics sustained me. But in the process of that, as I was sort of working, I became aware of an after-school program. And I began to work in that after-school program. And I started to see from a different perspective, a lot of children that were like me, right? Okay. Yep. Um, when you get that bird's eye view of your own life, you're able to reflect a little, you're able to have the, the, the benefit of wisdom and experience, you can now see some of the steps that you could have made differently. So that's how I came to be a part of youth programming, yeah. um, working at a frontline level, doing about 15 hours a week. I was working at Quirk Middle, um, quite an interesting program at Quirk Middle School. Um, and, and, and that sort of entered me into this world in about the year, like 1992-93 was when I began working with um, youth programming. Okay. And that was after school at Quirk? After school programming at Quirk Middle School. Me and a bunch of other college students were trying to um, create after school programs that were magnetic and exciting. And they gave us a very loose curriculum. So we have to go in there and recraft the curriculum because what they gave us was a textbook and a general guide. And if you follow that general guide, you'd have no students because students right. vote with their feet. Heck, I voted with my feet. And that's why I was always, you know, <laughs> prioritizing school differently, right? Yeah. So <laughs> we recognize it and we made the adjustments. And we, and again, that's when we start to really dive into understanding learning styles and sort of different practices and really what adolescents really need and what um, sort of these um, children entering adolescents need. So th that's about where I got my start. And from then it's been kind of, I, I went from that program, then I um, had an opportunity um, working with a gentleman named Alan McKenzie and Bob Rath. They got a grant and they said, you know, we have this program we want to get off the ground and it's called OPP. 
Yeah. I said, what? And they said, well, yeah. I said, well, who works for it? They said, well, Alan says, well, it's just me. Now we need youth managers. So he hired me and another woman, uh, Alicia Akers. And we then worked with a national consultant. And over about six months, we crafted the original curriculum for the RP to the Pie program, which is now just called OPP, and started that program with about $300,000. And it took off. And we actually worked very hard to get it into sort of all the schools. And it was a high school level program teaching children employment skills. And yep. we'd run the sort of after school clubs and then we'd actually find them jobs and we would give them stipends um, to maintain sort of these year round employment so they can test these skills. And so from after OPP, we still on your journey. Where'd you go to next? So OPP was phenomenal um, in, in so many ways. I got to meet with, I actually had a meeting, the most interesting meeting I had was with Sheldon Neal, right? So yeah, I- Shout out to Sheldon Neal, go ahead. <laughs> retired, not too long ago. Yes, 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 love the man. So, I, so Sheldon was one of the classes that I would find myself in probably more frequently than other classes. And when I called a meeting, he was now a principal at the school and I called a meeting and we're there um, we have the whole meeting to present to have the OPP program sort of roll into the school. And after that, he stayed there and he asked a few questions after the meeting. He's like, Alden, can you stay back? I said, I said, yeah. So I stayed back after. He said, he said, listen, Alden, honestly, I sat here this entire time and I listened to you. And he said it was well presented. You spoke well. You spoke. It was, it was clear. It was, it was filled with wisdom and all these pieces. And I want your program here. But I got to understand, how is it that you who barely made it into school regularly are now running <laughs> a program <laughs> talking to children about coming to school? He said, he said, I was having an out-of-body experience. He said, I don't know if you noticed, but a couple of times I think my eyes rolled back <laughs> and my body went limp because how are you here? <laughs> How can you tell people about coming to school? How'd you end up here? Listen, my friends ask me that all the time. All the, you skipped so much school, particularly I skipped a lot of school at court. Mm -hmm. How could you ever become a teacher? How could you ever become a principal? How could you ever talk about anything related to education, all the school you missed? And I'm like, you know, like you say, getting out, working with kids at a young age. I, I started as a camp counselor and then um, over the summertime at the YMCA, and moved on from there. And when you start working with kids and you talked about being at that, you know, that kind of upper level looking down at what your life was like, and you have a different perspective on how you want to help and support students, um, you know, to have a better life than you did or that you saw was going on when you were growing up and, and you want to help them out. And that's, that's basically what happened to me too. So, you know, these stories that you share are kind of um, similar. Yeah. So, and, and I think, I think the thing that I, I, I you know, as I shared with him, I said, it, you know, one of the pieces that I think happens is that we have to stop and look at children as, as what they are. They're developmental. We have to ask ourselves, what are the primary pieces? What are these building blocks? And one of the pieces that um, really helped me to when I was older sort of anchor in better was a lot of the transferable skills, right? They taught, I understood how to communicate and I really paid a lot of attention about how to communicate with other people. And again, code switching, right? Because when I talk to my yeah. people in the streets, I talk to them one way. When I'm having conversations at home, that's another way. And when I'm in a professional setting, that's another way. When I'm in school, that's another way. And it seems like a lot to filter, but we always have to ask ourselves, you know, are we communicating in a manner that's appropriate to our environment, right? And I can say that now 
now, but when I was younger, I said it in a different way because if I spoke to my mom a certain way, oh, it's a problem. If I spoke to dad a certain way, <laughs> it's a problem, right? So fundamentally, a lot of those sort of core transferable practices, and that's what we focus on, like in our after school programs in OPP at that time, it was really about how do you get these skill sets up, right? How do you make sure that, because you may not be fully ready, you may not be fully mature enough to understand the sort of impacts of your behavior, but how do you still pack some quality skills into your briefcase so that when you're ready and this opportunity is afforded to you, you are able to communicate. You do know about timeliness, getting to your spaces on time. You do know about what participation look like. You do know how to be present and engaged. So as I talked to Mr. Neal, it was just the ability to sort of navigate those pieces that gave me the foundation, even though I made horrible decisions in high school to then turn it around, at least I made some right decisions. So from OPP, actually, I wound up going to um, Catholic Charities. I wound up going to Catholic Charities as the director of the youth, um, at that time wasn't the director of the youth department, but leading their case management. And the reason I wound up there was because we had some phenomenal success at OPP, but then there also came some downsides that I wasn't aware of. We had one situation where a student of ours who attended um, Buckley High School came, I came to work morning at like 8.30 and she was in the hallway in the atrium. We were located down on Farmington Avenue. And I'm like, what are you doing here so early? She's like, well, I came to see you all. And I'm like, yeah, but you kind of look like you were here longer than that. Mm. So it turns out she had stayed in the lobby that night because she had a conflict with her mom. And yeah. the conflict with yeah. her mom was around finances because this young lady was a, a success. She was doing well, she was working her job, she was going to school, she was doing all her pieces. And as a result, she was helping out her siblings financially that lived in a home. She'd buy food in the house, she'd help them with their homework. And her mom had a huge conflict with her. Over time, it just grew and when that day it came to, physical violence, right? Yeah. And the mom put her hands on her and basically said, you think you're the mother in this house and you're not, I am. And if you think you're gonna do that in my house, you better get out. And it really hit home because for all the success this young lady was having, doing well in school and everything, her success had a dark side. And it, cre it, it really made it clear that there are needs for social supports so that even when your program is doing well, even when a child is doing well, there are outside influences and traumas that impact them that may strip away their ability to succeed. So at that time, we looked at our capacities and, I, and it, we brought this up in a staff meeting. We talked about it repeatedly. And um, I had an opportunity to Catholic Charities because they had a really strong case management department to... Um, try to create linkages. It didn't work. The linkages didn't work. So I told myself, hey, listen, this is who I am. I roll up sleeves really quick and I get down. So I, uh, we walked, we talked about what it was. I made a secret plan to hire someone to replace me. I didn't tell my supervisor. And I did. I, we, we talked about succession planning. We talked about all these things. And I was able to hire someone who ultimately, in my mind, was going to replace me. And that's what we did, right? And it was unbeknownst to me, my manager didn't like it at the time, but I needed to bring case management back to OPP because I really believed in that program. I needed to be able to, and again, it's not just about believing in a program, it's about believing in children. Because mm -hmm. I cannot believe that from success, you can snatch defeat. And I was disgusted with, it, it took a lot of soul searching for me to reconcile what was happening because as I felt around, 
and we sort of asked questions, a lot of our students were, in, were realizing those same things. So I realized we need to add psychoeducational groups. We needed to understand sort of the impacts. So I wound up at Catholic Charities to learn case management and create a true partnership there. And that we did, right? And we did that for several years. And um, it, was, it, it, it supported that program. But then I learned about this whole other world of trauma, this whole other world of um, sort of community and family impact on a child's success. So then, it, and I'm a bleeding heart, I cry at the drop of a, anything. Uh -huh. I'm extremely emotional. And I said, you know what? This is where I need to be because if I can help children process the world that they are in, if I can create a team around me that helps process what children are going through and we can find support for them, they can begin to navigate and make connections earlier and hopefully achieve more success. So that's more of where we got to with, um, with Catholic Charities. Keep going, man. How, how'd you get to the village? Was that the next step or you had another in between? So no, that was the next step. I mean, I, I was at OPP for about six years. Then I was at Catholic Charities for eight years. And mm -hmm. then I came to the village and I've been at the village for 12 years. Um, and again, it, it's, it's anchoring in. And the piece that I enjoy about the village that brought me here was um, the village has a clear and defined mission or strategy. And I can't, and I'm not saying no one else does, but their um, mission and their vision, which is really about building a community of healthy adults that nurture and protect children, it really encompasses everything. Because unfortunately, when you walk in the door and you're addressing the needs of a family, each family presents something more um, complex than their initial investigation, initial conversation would um, allow. So the, the village allowed us to flex more, allow for more creativity because of the way they are funded, because the way they, because, and again, I say they, because it's before I came on board, the mm -hmm. way they are funded, the way that they creatively navigate funding. And then when I came on board, it became very clear that the process that we undertake in the village is about braiding funding. You look at opportunities. Our job is not to chase after money, which is an unfortunate part of nonprofits. There is this applying for money in these pieces. But within the village, we have our strategic plan. We have our understanding of what we, what we are attempting to accomplish. We have our objectives and in, in school-based programs. And we're about, we're in eight schools. So I oversee um, eight schools at the time. And we are able to stop, look at what it is we wanna do and apply for things that make sense, that help move our goals forward, that help move us more towards the goalposts. I had one meeting, I remember there's one meeting that stands out and this is with our um, COO, our now COO, um, Hector Glenn. And we had a meeting, we were pouring over data, and this was the full leadership team at the village. And he comes in there and, you know, he puts out his paper and he puts up his PowerPoint and he says, you know, we have been around for 200 years at the village. And I want to ask you all, what have we changed? What have we influenced? Is the world better off for us actively being engaged? And, you know, it was a heavy question, right? And you can imagine the silence and could you imagine we all kind of going through our stages of grief, right? As he sort of, sort of takes our world and then sort of drops this heavy question in it, right? So all of us died just a little bit in that. And 
in the end, what the conversation was really about is that, is it enough? Are we changing? And mm. are we being as creative as we can be? We know about the limitations. We understand the things that prohibit us from making progress, but are we bringing those up in this leadership session to navigate them differently? Are you, Aldwin, speaking with your colleague to get help and support so that you can navigate? Because while the agency is large, we need to operate small. We need to operate on every single level so we can understand the detail. And this means that we have to be open with one another, speaking about our vulnerabilities, speaking about the sort of um, doing analyses, doing our SWOT analyses, right? And all of these pieces. So he was able to braid and it continues to go on these days where we're able to braid not only sort of our funding strategies, but the heart, we braid the heart with the head. There are these very practical things we need to do. And then there's these very, these very complex things that are rooted in passion and commitment that we need to do. And our job at this high level is to navigate these things creatively because a bit of our soul should be in everything we do. And those conversations are why I enjoy working at the village. Those are the things that began to sort of pull me to the village prior to me coming in here. And those are the things that keep me at the village. Now, how do, how do those leadership combinations and that passion, um, how does that translate to support our students here in Hartford and in our Hartford public school system? So we have, we, again, the reality of this world is data. There is data and some of the data is anecdotal. Um, and, and for a long time, you kind of opt, you, you know, we kind of had these pieces, but there's, there's also some empirical evidence, right? So we have to look at the rates of attendance, right? The rates of participation. We have to look at um, how often these pieces are offered. We then have to do some other pieces where we drill down and ask ourselves, you know, through satisfaction surveys, are families engaged? Do they believe that these things are helpful? Do they believe that these things are worthwhile? And then we have to... Um, begin to sort of pull these two types of data together, right? The, these very tangible numbers, right? And then these sort of quality measures and make sure that we continue to change our program to respond to the needs of families. So I, I said it in that way, but I'll say it plainly in this way. We have to, we make sure that we serve the numbers we're gonna serve and that piece satisfies that particular alter. But the altar that we really work on is making sure that the families that we are working with are better off. And that means our, we focus a lot on staff development and training. We do a lot of work around getting feedback from families and we do a lot of work on getting feedback from our partners like the Hartford Public School System um, to understand what we need to constantly do to morph, to change, to adapt to what the circumstances are that people may be facing. And like this pandemic is a great example. I mean, I think we were all forced to adjust to it, um, but it wasn't a new practice for us. And that, you know, I am appreciative for. So there's different arms of the village, right? That supports different um, aspects of families and students' lives. One of them is the, being a CBO for our schools, a community-based organization. Can you talk about community schools and the work that the village does with our schools in particular? So 
I, so I, I tell you, one of the luxuries I had was at, at Catholic Charities, I'm going to go back. Um, mm -hmm. You were part of the, um, uh, funded by the Harper Foundation, we were part of the After Schools Initiative, which um, this was like 2000, 2000, 2003. And I got an opportunity to work at Fox Middle. And that's actually one of the pieces that when I went to um, um, work, when I went to work at Catholic Charities, I told them that I must be able to run after school program and that I must have a program at Fox Middle School, right? Mm -hmm. So in 2003, we realized that now that school became one of the first community schools, right? And that began to work in 2008. And since then, you know, when I came up to the village, we had community schools here as well. And right now we have three community schools uh, mixed into the eight schools that we have presence in. And community schools are really a realization of the dream for me. A community school is an opportunity to partner with a school and have the principals and the administration and leadership and teachers focus on that educational component. Their job is to help their children, help children learn. Our job is to come in and provide services that wrap around those other pieces of the child. Our job is to help create these sort of passion filled, these sort of personal connection pieces with children so that they have a reason to come to school like a what, like what Mr. Lewis did for me. Right, right, right. So these are the goals of our program. So we're able to go in and we're able to meet with our principals. We're able to meet with school staff who participate on the attendance team. Um, we're able to work with the behavioral techs. And those teams were able to work with um, the SCSSPs at the schools. So we're able to then really go in and part and find out case by case, right? So there's sort of the macro level stuff, whole school, and then there's individual students. And we're able to work with individual students and on the macro level of the whole school to help remove barriers so children can come to school. And once children are in school, we just like you, we work with you, we work with them to make sure that the environment is welcoming, that's engaging, that when there's an issue, it's resolved as quickly as possible. So that re this relationship, I mean, if you're in a K-5 school, that's mm -hmm. six years right there, right? If you're in a middle school, that's three years there, right? In the high school, it's four years there. Right. And our job is to make sure that a relationship exists that's strong enough so they're connected with a caring adult, which is one of the protective factors around sort of building youth resilience so that they have someone to connect with. And in a beautiful case that it will be everyone, but that isn't the case in most cases so that they can come to school and they can get an opportunity to achieve in this world. So our job as community school providers is really to get in there and be absolute support, whether it be resources, whether it be relationships, whether it be recreational activities, whether it be homework help to really wrap around and partner with the um, school to wrap around children um, to make a, be a part of the success. Now, what schools are you currently located in in Harvard? Okay, so uh, we're we have a community school at Burr. We are a partner with Compass. Shout out to Compass at Burns, um, where we <laughs> have our family resource centers. Um, we are a lead agency at Martin Luther King School. Um, we are a lead agency at MD Fox. We okay. are we are partnered with Catholic Charities at Milner. Shout out to Milner, yeah. you know, Charities, <laughs> Mr. Watson. Then. Um, we are a lead agency at Rawson. We are a lead agency at Sand, which is also community school. And then we are a lead agency community school at Wish. And what's and, and I love all my principals there from Gerardo to Keisha um, to Amanda, all of, all those schools you um 
you mentioned. I actually supervise a couple of those schools too. So I'm glad and I'm happy with the work that you're providing to our families for all these years. Um, what's the best part about your role at the village? So I, I cannot, the best part is the part I get to do the least. I'm in this role to help children and families connect in the best way possible for them with the school system. Mm -hmm. And when that connection happens, there's the magic. My team knows the piece that I love is the stories. And I love to see the events where you see children who are already excelling excel more. Children who may be in the middle find their stride or beginning to find their voice because there's stages to everything, right? Mm -hmm. So that child may not turn the corner immediately, right? I mean, there's, there's this concept that I share all the time. I say, you know, there are no right angles in social work, right? There are only gentle curves. So a child isn't going in one direction then immediately transitioned into a, you know, 90 degrees in another direction. I like that, I like that, gentle yeah. curves, yeah. Gentle curves, and our job is to move alongside these children and help them make these gentle turns so it isn't painful for them. And they can see where they're coming from. They, begin to, they, can, they can begin to see where they're going. And in the end, this is something that they can hold to themselves as an accomplishment. It's that sort of strength-based case management model that we utilize. So my greatest moments is when I see change happening, not as we describe it, because we're relevant, but as the children and the families, they want it. And as the school wants it, as things change, I am happy. I am at my best moment. Those are the times when I just stop in my car and I just don't even turn it on. I just kind of thank God for a minute and breathe and just say, my God, this it, it, we're making progress. We're making progress. Because as you know, these days are long, man. <laughs> yes. when, when you care, these days are long. And sometimes you go into a drought where it just doesn't feel like something changed enough. And, and, and when those moments come and I'm able to hear those stories, I'm able to witness them, those are my greatest moments. So I got to flip it the other way, right? What are some of the most challenging moments that you encounter in your role? Uh, in my role, I, I say the most challenging pieces is when you have well-intentioned adults, well-intentioned mm -hmm. adults. And we, in that moment, may get caught in a micro space where we're just looking directly at the problem. And then we come up with an address as if we're the only ones. We're the only ones who's aware of the problem and we're the only ones who can solve it. And as a result of that intervention, we then create a ripple effect by throwing off other things that other people were doing. And, it, it, and your heart is in the right place. And I think that's why it's my most it's the most challenging thing for me is because people who have no, who have ill will towards you, I expect them to do something that is complicated and that creates bad impact for everyone. It's when people are well-intended and for some reason we're not communicating, for some reason we're not coordinating and we create an unintended negative impact on a child or on a situation. Those are the moments that cause me the greatest grief because in those moments, everybody lost. The person who was well-intended, who did not communicate, who did not coordinate, who then had a bad result, they're a little broken. The children who experience um, that moment, they are a little broken. The system, as it's supposed to work, it's a little broken. 
That's tough. Um, in our school system, as you see it, have you seen anything special in any one of our schools that you want to pull out that's happening? So one, I'm not falling for your trap. I work with way too many schools and I already made the mistake of saying some names on here. And I did you not see how I threw those other ones out there, too. You see, I had to throw those to try to catch up from that. I appreciate you trying to save me. I'm dysfunctional. <laughs> Sometimes I talk from the heart and not the head. Excuse me. But I love all my principles. And mm-hmm. the one thing I can say that's happened is I tell you the amount of offline conversations that happen. And by that offline, you not. That's the wrong term. The amount of conversations that happen where principals pick up the phone and have conversations with my teams or with me directly about something they want to change, about some detail, and to hear the heart and the passion. Because one of the pieces that happens is because you're looking at a full school, um, people may miss that principals actually know individual children. And they phone and they talk about individual children and you will have a 30 minute conversation in a, in a school with 400 plus children about one child because this child is in crisis mm-hmm. and those kinds of things is what I enjoy seeing happening because although there's this giant problem right that we all experience in one way or another you have people with the heart and the intent that's just in the right place And I tell you, at the village, we have a, me and my team, we have this very simple concept. We hire the heart and train the head. I heard that somewhere and I stuck with me for, and it will be with me for the rest of my life because I can teach you how to use a computer. I can teach you how to um, use cell phones. I can teach you how to read data, but I can't teach you how to love children. Mm -hmm. So the things that I see that happens at the school system is there's so many people who care and love these children that we are working with and for and the families that associate with them and the amount of great stories it's those are the things that that sort of i would highlight in terms of all of the school principals that i've been having the luxury of working with um um over these years to really just just say it brings me to tears and it motivates me and I transfer the message as best as I can to my teams so that they can be motivated. It's just a level of passion and a willing to, willingness to work on the highest or the smallest level to make change. I mean, one of the things, obviously, what you said there about hiring from the heart um, is just amazing because as principals, we try to do that. Right. We know we need our content area people, right? We know we need our people for our science class and that are well-versed in mathematics and whatnot. But you gotta you gotta love kids too. You really do. Yeah. And so I appreciate you saying that because that's something that um, a lot of our principals in our schools uh, look for when they're hiring people to work with our kids. Yes, yes. Um, students today in this in this COVID epidemic right now, what do, what would you say our students need the most? So they need, so I, I, I'm stealing this one as well. They need our time, talent, and treasure. They need us to be able to see them. One of the challenges that children are feeling, and um, there is just this reality around the isolation that we are currently facing through COVID, children are losing their ability to have meaningful social connections. And as we run our activities at the schools, one of the adaptations that we've made is to allow more 
time for sort of these community bonding moments, right? To have guided conversations, to um, incorporate cahoots and do sort of team challenges. And we sort of re, uh, we assign the teams randomly or deliberately at times to get people to connect outside of their circle because all these circles feel really small, right? For children with different learning styles, they are struggling in different ways. And with the sort of way Zoom functions or um, Google Classroom, it may not touch students in ways and teachers themselves struggle because the way they can navigate a room and stand next to a child to make them feel accepted, do that in Zoom. And that teacher is sitting at home dying because they're looking at that child's face and it's like, how can I engage like I would differently to at least transfer some energy by closing the physical distance, these things aren't allowed. So what we need to do, what children need these days, what students need, they need for us to find ways to as best we can manufacture these moments so that they can feel the love because it, it, it that piece helps them navigate. And when you just turn off your Zoom screen, heck, if I was on Zoom and Mr. Lewis saw my screen shut off, how would he get back in touch with me, right? What does that look like? There is no intervention, Aldwin, right? So things are lost. So what we is what we need to do at this point is to find ways to give students that time and attention that they we needed as children, that we still crave as adults, and 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 let them feel anchored and safe again because security is critical. Without security, you trigger traumas, you create your own brand new trauma. And our job is to help children succeed and limit the amount of negative impacts they have in that process. Now I wanna, we getting close to wrapping up, but I do wanna make a point of your organization name, right? And make sure people understand that it's called the village for a reason, right? Because that old proverb, right? takes Takes a village to raise a child. And so, I do also appreciate that you connected and shouted out to other community-based organizations that work with and that partner with our school system, like Catholic Charities, like Compass, and how we can collaborate to all support and and increase the numbers of our village to help support students. Um, Is there anybody else at the end of the day, as we wrap this up, that you want to recognize or shout out um, that help you in your work to support all of our kids? Oh, good Lord. So one, you put me on the spot, right? <laughs> to, um, um, Charities Compass, we work with Boys and Girls Club, we work with Ebony Horsewomen, um, Charter Oak Cultural Center, Girl Scouts. There are many. Um, the um, Toy Bowl, there's a, we work with several organizations of various sizes. Because again, if you have a service as a community school, and again, it's a realization of a dream, if there's a service that you provide and we can bring it in and create sort of cover the recruitment pieces, help with some of the um, administrative pieces to facilitate your existence, great. I myself um, believe in startups because OPP was a startup. Yeah. I, I was in that program. I also worked for another youth program. There was also another startup. I believe in it, right? Um, my living in this community, I, I live here for a reason, right? I live right here in Upper Albany where I've been living since 1980 for a reason. And anyone who lives in my little area, they know that it's about volunteerism, it's about support. So the small efforts make the big difference. I, I, I shout out those agencies that I recognize um, that work with us. I shout out all the ones that I missed. 
And again, everyone that's doing the work, my hat's off because we're just soldiers on different battlefields, but ultimately as best as we can communicate with one another, we'll, we'll be able to get the gains that we all are praying for and working for. Now, if, my, if I'm a parent and I'm, I'm having difficulty, um, I'm having difficulty with myself, with my family, my child is having difficulty, I want to reach out, I want some support, what can I do? Okay, so many avenues. Um, we have clinical services um, that, that are located within the schools. So we have clinicians that are able, through your social workers at schools, they're able yeah. to connect and get directly to our clinicians. We also have at our main number, um, 860-236-4511. That's our campus number and you can contact them. We have services. And again, I just want to give you a little more meat to your statement about the village. We have services every from cradle to, to the back end, right? Wow. <laughs> and, not to mention. and our goal is to make sure that, and we do it not because we want to grow, but these came as offshoots as needs that as families were experiencing. In the last couple of years, we opened our adult services. For years, we've wrestled with what that meant. Does it dilute us? Does it pull us too thin? Does it? And we realized that it was something that we needed to do. So we actually offer adult services as well that's um, accessible through that number. So if you're a family, and we did it because we recognize that a child cannot succeed without the parent's experience. That's right. So parents can contact us directly at the village. Um, We're also um, accessible at our website, um, thevillage.org. Um, and we are able, the first person that picks up the phone is our access team, and they can help you navigate their information system, they are our referral system, they are our intake system. So the first person that answers that phone is able to answer every single question you have. And if there's something that is more detailed, they are able to help you navigate to that space that can get you someone to help you. And because we are a mental health organization, we prioritize everything as emergent. I like that too. Prioritize everything. Um, as a guest on the Let's Talk Harper Public School show, you got to leave us with something that you've been watching or reading. What do we have to watch or what do we have to read? Oh, good Lord. It's so much. I am completely saturated. And I can be honest, at this point, I am trying to function and decompress after work. And I will not tell you what I watch to decompress. Come on, man. What I will say is that (laughs) project car that I'm working on and my sons are telling me because I have this little Camaro that's in my garage that I bought literally and trailered home in pieces. And I am putting this car together (laughs) as we speak. And over this Christmas break, I promise myself that this motor will be running and the interior will be back in the car so that come spring, me and my sons and my beloved daughter, who doesn't help me as much as she used to, but she's in college. She's in college, so I understand. She used to be my road dog. She would hand me the wrenches, but you know, she's been consumed with other priorities and dad is now, I don't know, non-existent. That's right, Mariah. I'm shaming you publicly. But I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, so these are things. But right now, I mean, quite honestly, with the do, entertainment-wise, I watched a show called The Expanse. Right. Where is that? Where, where can I find that at? 
sci-fi and it's on Amazon. Okay. And I like sci-fi only because it relates to the world in which we live. It's like how Jesus spoke in the Bible in parables. Sci-fi mm -hmm. is a parable, right? All sci-fi are a parable. And if you were to watch the show, it's truly about racism, right? It's about our systems. And it's so relevant to what's happening in our world today, where we come from a central source, but yet because of the things that people, because of the way people look, because of the way people sort the tasks they do, we then create differentiations and we create this staggered tier of humanity and treat people badly as a result. So I would say that that's the one I can say that I watch, that I binge um, and I've run out, but it's four seasons long and it is a mind bender and a mind rush. And if you look at it through a lens of, um, um, isms, I, I think it will enlighten you and sort of make you want to fight for a particular cause. And so this is Expanse? Expanse. E-X-P-A-N-S-E. -E. Got you. Expanse on oh, Sci-Fi Network or Amazon. Or right. oh, Amazon. Got you. So we have been speaking with, and it's been a great conversation, man. I appreciate you for coming on, particularly last minute, too, how we put that together. I, I like that. Um, we've been speaking with the Senior Director of Community Programs at the Village for Children and Families. It's been great, Mr. Aldwin Allen. Um, thank you again for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. Until next time, you can catch us on 89.9. QFM in Hartford. We are also streaming on the WQTQFM website and available on your CastBox podcast platforms and on Harper Public Schools website. Signing off, this has been Let's Talk Harper Public Schools and I am Tyrone Richardson.